0: Hey, everybody, my name is Tom, and I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And today, as we dig into our message, I'm going to ask you to go back a little bit in the memory banks, and I want you to think of the movie, ready? The Incredibles. You with me? You remember The Incredibles? Mr. Incredible, his wife Elastigirl, their kids, Violet, Dash, and Jack-Jack. There's some other characters in there. Frozone was kind of like his sidekick, but a superhero unto himself. And how about, how about the lady who designed their superhero costumes? No capes right? Edna Mode. You guys remember that now? Well, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is the very last scene in the movie. The Incredibles have saved the day, and they're walking down Main Street in their city and smiling and beautiful. The sun is out, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this giant drilling machine breaks through the surface of the earth, and this mole guy who's got like a robotic hand and a hard hat, he's got a microphone, and he yells. He's like, behold, the underminer!" I am always beneath you, but nothing is beneath me. I declare war on peace and happiness. Soon all will tremble before me. Camera cuts back to the Incredibles. They're putting their superhero gear on. Fade to the Incredibles logo. The movie ends. The sequel is set up perfectly. That's pretty terrifying though, right? Bad guy shows up and says, nothing is beneath me. I'll do anything to destroy peace and happiness. Nothing is beneath me. All right, so if you're paying attention right now, you're probably saying, what, the band is over here to my left. What, where is he going? What is he doing with, with this Incredibles deal? I'm glad you asked. Ready? Here we go. So as I was thinking about Acts chapter 11, um, a thought occurred to me, right? That this idea of what the underminer said was um, the idea of lowering, lowering himself beneath and as we think about that, that's negative, right? He was, he was trying to induce fear. He was trying to be scary. That idea of lowering oneself has a positive side to it as well. And that is this idea of humility, right? So here's the scary way my brain works. I'm thinking about Acts chapter 11. It's making me think of humility. It makes me think of The Incredibles because in The Incredibles, there's this scene with the undermind. You're scared, right? But listen to this. There's other Bible verses that help make me not a crazy person. Ready? We're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Ready? So Jesus is making himself beneath. He's lowering himself beneath God. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He lowered himself down to our level. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He lowered himself beneath us. So as we as we think about that, right, the, the this idea of lowering oneself, Underminer came out all negative. But if you flip that around, and instead of... Pursuing, I'm gonna. There's nothing beneath me. There's nothing that I wouldn't do. If you flip that on its head and you make it instead of for personal gain, you make it for God's glory and for other people. It becomes humility. It becomes Jesus in His life, and it becomes what we see in in Peter's life, especially in Acts chapter 11. So we're gonna read this act, Acts chapter 11, and I'm gonna try to make a case through this that I'm not a crazy person by drawing this comparison to the underminers, and. Um, we're going we're to dig into this. This is 11, uh, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So you guys remember last week, the last two weeks, we have talked about Peter and Cornelius, Peter bringing the word of God to Cornelius, who's a Gentile, and his entire family. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. So he's going to recap Acts chapter 10 here. So in case you missed it last week, here we go. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring a message through which you and your whole household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So that, that's the story of Peter and Cornelius being replayed. Word had spread, right? Word had gotten around, and it had gotten back to Jerusalem before Peter had, and That's the the chronicle of Peter kind of making a defense for himself, and we're going to look at that and see how this idea of humility comes to light. There are two verses in particular that jump out to me that um, point to humility, and the first one is God calling Peter to humility, and the second one is Peter responding in humility. So sometimes when I'm studying, when I'm preparing for for a message, I will I'll read through the text several times, and usually the um, New International Version, right? That's a translation of the Bible. When you hear somebody talk about translation of the Bible, what that means is this, there are scholars, and their job is to take the ancient manuscripts and to turn them into something that we can use. Not many of us can fluently read ancient Hebrew and and Greek and Latin, Um, so they do the best they can to bring that into a modern-day, readable, understandable format. Now, there are all kinds of translations. There are very literal word-for-word translations, which are kind of clunky and hard to understand, all the way over to very loose paraphrases that um, the the translators take a lot of poetic license and creativity with, which take them a little bit further away from, from the original meaning. So as I was studying this this week, I, um, I used the translation, did my studying in the in New International Version, and I supplemented it with these other translations. I found a translation called the Disciples um, Literal New Testament, and I want to show you verse 9, and I want to show you verse 17 from this chapter and this translation, because this is what really helps solidify this idea of humility in my mind. And if you focus just on that, um, that yellow text, right, you be making defiled. This is, this is God talking to Peter. If I make something clean, don't you be making it defiled, right? Like I said, the grammar is a little clunky. It's a little bit harder to understand. But man, that, that was such a, such a powerful image for me with God calling Peter. And then Peter responds in humility. You look at that, that second verse in verse 17. Who was I, sorry, I'm having a hard time reading that, but the yellow text just says to forbid God. Who was I to forbid God? So we have God calling Peter to humility. We have Peter responding in humility. Man, what, a, what an awesome, awesome thing that just we're watching Peter grow right before our, our very eyes. And Peter recognizes who God is. He humbles himself before God. And he admits that he doesn't know everything right? This is, where, this is where we get in trouble. This should be like the, the most no-brainer part of this to begin with. We should humble ourselves before God. But this is where we get screwed up the most. We think that we know more than God. At, at its root, right, that's our biggest struggle. That is the root of all sin, that we think we know better than God. Go all the way back to the beginning. <clears throat> in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve thought they knew better than God. The serpent convince them that they wouldn't die. They say, no, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Peter humbled himself before God, right? He, God says, who are you to be making this stuff defiled? And then Peter turns around and, who am I to, to forbid God? This is such a huge turning point for, for Peter, the growth in his character and a huge recognition for us. Peter recognizes who God is, and he recognizes even more clearly who he is. So we have this idea of humility playing out and Peter humbling himself before God. The next thing we see as he recaps the story of his interaction with Cornelius is that he humbles himself, Peter humbles himself before Cornelius. You you have to imagine that Peter viewed this as a humbling of himself. Everything that he had been taught, generation upon generation of, of law, of tradition, of culture, told him that Cornelius was a dirty, idolatrous Gentile, and he should not have anything to do with him. God said, Listen, we're starting a new thing. Go do this. But so Peter had all this baggage that he had to kind of deal with and say, Okay, God, I'm gonna humble myself here and I'm gonna I'm gonna do what you're asking me to. And then finally, we get to today. Peter had these these critics, today today's passage. As soon as he gets to Jerusalem, people start criticizing him for what he did, for sharing a meal with the Gentiles. Peter humbles himself before then and by doing so, he, he diffuses a tense, a tense situation. He brings glory to God and he opens the door for the rest of the world to experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let's look at that interaction a little bit more a little bit more closely. Um, sorry, I'm going to go backwards. So Peter, shows up in Jerusalem. Like I said, word of what had happened got to Jerusalem before he did, and he shows up, and I think it's very, very interesting, right? So Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and Luke tells us that the Gentiles received the word of God in verse 1. That's how Luke, Luke wants us to see it. It's a good thing. The, um, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem take an entirely different tack. They come at Peter. They come at Peter hot, and they're like, you ate with Gentiles. Never mind, they, like, they could have been... Um, well, first of all, it was a big deal because eating, sharing a table with somebody, sharing a meal with somebody, symbolized acceptance and recognition. So that was a huge, huge deal that Peter, that Peter did that. They could, have, they could have approached Peter in a million different ways. They could have encouraged him. They could have asked him questions. Hey man, that was some crazy stuff that happened in Caesarea. What, what you want to tell us about it? What happened on there? But they just came at him hot and criticized him. And so this Peter is such, such a cool guy. This is Peter's the same guy who at the end of the Gospels lopped somebody's ear off when they were trying to arrest Jesus. So instead of being aggressive, he humbles himself before his critics, who and, and he totally turns this conversation around. But his critics, as we look at how they reacted we see a total lack of humility right they were going based on a label peter had an interaction with the gentile and because they were thinking in terms of a label it everything went sideways they made an assumption that only the worst stuff could have happened they made an assumption they they were like they were more concerned about rules than they were about people there were people coming to god but they were more upset that some some tradition and some rules had been had been broken. Um, they put themselves in the place of God. They were they were judging them based on these these labels, right? This idea of a label. We do that today, don't we? We hear a label and we make assumptions. Oh, of course they said that they're conservative, or of course they said that they're liberal. Whatever whatever the label is that we put on there, it leads us to make certain assumptions. And labels, labels are destructive. I don't know if you've ever noticed, like next time you're having a conversation with somebody and they throw out a term that you would consider a label, watch their face. Their face, it's like somebody sucking a lemon, right? If, if they're talking about somebody on the other side and they're throwing a label on them, it's never, it's never a positive, it's never a positive thing. <clears throat> when we put labels on people, we, we keep ourselves from being able to see them in the image of God. When we put labels on people, we keep from being able to see them as somebody with whom Jesus desperately wants to have a relationship. When we put labels on somebody, we shut the door on any chance of us learning from them and learning with them and growing with them. And labels always lead to judgment, right? And judgment is comes right out of a lack of humility judgment says that my way is the only way judgment says that my way is the right way judgment says that I have all the facts right judgment puts us in the place of God just like the believers did in Jerusalem before they heard Peter out they were making all these decisions they were making the worst-case assumptions they were placing labels on people, and they, were, and they were judging people. What is it that Peter does? How does Peter respond to this lack of humility? He responds with greater humility. It's so interesting. Like When you, I, I, when you spend st- time in this passage, and you realize, and you look at what Peter did, and how he dealt with this criticism— I would have been tempted to fire right to fire right back at them. But Peter did a couple of things, and I'm gonna break these down a little bit. Peter empathized with them, Peter found common ground with them, and Peter addressed the emotion that was underneath the judgment. Right? What does Peter do in telling the story? Peter could have left all the details out about him arguing with God and about how it took God three times to convince Peter. Right? Peter could have left out the Surely not, God. I I won't eat anything unclean. He didn't have to share with them that this was hard for him, too. This is, like I said, generations and generations of of tradition, culture, and, and law that they're being asked to change. And Peter says, yeah, I struggled with it, too, man. I struggled with it. But I leaned into God, and I went with him. He empathized. He empathized with them. He found common ground. In that, um, in that literal transa- translation that I was reading from, the, when he describes the common experience, Peter says they had the, they received the exact same gift that we did. When they accepted Jesus just like we did, the Holy Spirit came upon them just like he did with us. There was common ground there. He empathized with them. He found common ground. And lastly, he addressed the emotion underneath judgment almost 100% of the time, if somebody's being a judgy jerk, there's a rough emotion going on underneath there. And I would bet anything that the Jewish believers were afraid. They were afraid of what was going on. They had grown to love Jesus. They had grown to love his movement. They had grown to love the community that was developing around the person of Jesus Christ. And they were afraid because Peter broke with their tradition that that would all come crashing down, that it would end, that it would get broken up, that maybe their freedom would be taken away. Maybe even their lives would be taken away. Because remember, we'd just seen the, um, the martyrdom of Stephen and the, the persecution that broke out and the church kind of scattered. But they were, they were afraid, right? So Peter addressed that. He said, look, I, this is not just me. I didn't just go and do this on my own. I brought these six guys with me. They were witnesses. They can tell you what happened. They can tell you the Holy Spirit was there, that this was a real thing. And that's the other piece that how Peter addressed their fear, that he pointed out that this was a work of God. Throughout the New Testament, we read that labels mean nothing. If we want proof of a disciple of Jesus, we look for the work and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what was present in this group of Gentiles. They experienced it just like the believers did. And as a result, because Peter humbled himself before God, because he humbled himself before Cornelius, because he humbled himself before his critics, right? We can read verse 18. This is the very last verse that I read to you. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter's humility led to God being praised, led to Gentiles coming to know Jesus and led to this open door so that the kingdom of God could grow and grow and grow. It's an amazing thing. When we humble ourselves, we can diffuse tense situations and we can give glory to God. Now, I'm gonna, I want to leave you guys with what might be um, maybe a little bit of, of hard homework. Right? So I don't know about you guys, but when I listen to a message like this, um, sometimes, this is kind of a little bit of a confession, um, my thought will be like, oh, man, I wish so-and-so could hear this. They really could you know, stand to be a little less judgy. I wish so-and-so could hear this. They could, they could really stand to be a little more humble. Um, I want you to try really hard to not do that and think about what this text might be saying to you about humility. What is this text saying to you about being judgy? And there, there are a couple questions that I think can help you work through that. And these questions are difficult. Um, maybe our online hosts can put them in the chat so we can, you can see them um, written out. But the, the first one is this. Who or what has God made clean that you are calling unclean? Who or what has God made clean that you are calling unclean? That's question number one. Question number two. In what areas are you trying to forbid God From doing his thing? In what areas are you trying to forbid God from doing his thing? Peter humbled himself before God. He grew in his understanding of who God was. As a result, he grew in his understanding of who he was. That allowed him that security in his position before God, that allowed him to humble himself before Cornelius, to humble himself before his critics, to diffuse a tense situation and to glorify God. And if we are serious about loving God and loving others, we will do the same thing, and we will pursue humility in the same way that Peter did. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for, man, just what an amazing example of humility that you are. We thank you for uh, the transformation that took place in Peter's life as a result of his relationship for you. We thank you that we have examples of imperfect people who we can watch grow through the pages of Scripture. Uh, God, would you make us the kind of people who are willing to humble ourselves? Uh, First and foremost, God, we humble ourselves before you. God, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the beginning and the end. God, we are your people. We are your children. And we humbly come before you. God, we ask that you would give us opportunities to reach out to people who are far from you. And if that requires us to humble ourselves to do that, God, then give us the strength and the courage to do that. And when we do that, sure as anything, we're going to be met with um, the judgment of church people and religious people. God, give us the grace, please, Lord, give us the grace to humble ourselves even further and to to meet those people where they're at and to walk them through what we did so they can participate in a move of your spirit. Jesus, thank you that you give us examples. Thank us that you give us the power to act upon them. Amen.